Hi and welcome to Shaky's Sports Journeys. Uh, you can find us by searching simply on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes or Podbean. Um, please do subscribe to the channel. We have content coming from all different walks of life, all different sports, as well as evolving into telling other people's stories as well from other walks of life, be it actors, actresses, local heroes of their community. So something for everybody. But today I'm really, really excited. This is some. This is a first time for me um, and first time for the channel. Never spoken to a racing driver before, uh, but I am joined today by a young up and coming current European Formula 3 driver, Ayrton Simmons. How are you, my friend? Hello, mate. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Ah, very well. Very well, mate. Very well. Um, Ayrton, the name, you must have been destined for racing, mate. We're, we all know there's a famous man out there, you know, that famous driver, there's movies made about him, Ayrton Senna, tell me a bit about it. Um, there's a little story behind it, and, and to be honest, it was like, a lot of people ask me this, and they just ask, you know, was you forced into racing because your dad was a fan, and it's nothing like that, it's quite a funny story. It was simply, obviously, dad was a, a massive Formula One fan, um, he had watched many of the races, was a big Ayrton fan, and um, obviously, at the time in the pregnancy, uh, mum and dad were looking for names. And um, it was actually my uncle that came up to, to my mum as a joke, just said, oh, how's Little Ayrton doing? Because he'd only passed away a, a few years uh, prior. Yeah. And um, and she said, oh, you know what? I quite like that name if we if it was a boy. And my dad was like, his eyes just lit up and he was just like, <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the story behind it. There's nothing... It's a, for me, it's a meaningful story, but there's nothing you know, that people think. So you mentioned there your family. So what I want to know is, I want to know a bit about the family, a bit about your background, where you grew up. Tell me about Um, Really normal family. Um, I was born in the UK, um, and my dad is uh, an en electrical engineer for the London Underground, just a normal job, nothing too serious. Uh, and mum is too busy at home looking after my two young siblings, uh, which takes up most of her time, bless her. Brothers um, or sisters? Brothers, sisters? Yeah, I've got two brothers. Uh, one of them's 17, and the other one is turning 12 soon in a few days. All right, so she's got her hands full. Mom's yeah, hands yeah. Full. I mean, not, not as much um, this year or the last few years, but, you know, a few years back she did <laughs> with three boys. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I moved to Spain when I was four years old. Um, because my mum's Spanish, so I've got half the family over there in Madrid. Um, so really, I grew up in in Spain and, and started my racing career over there, um, and then moved back when I was fifteen back to the UK. So, so you mentioned Spain, Madrid. When did you start showing a passion that there could be a chance that you were going to go down this route of racing? I, I'd always had a passion for motorsport. Um, because I'd always watch it. Um, it's, it's funny, actually, because it started just as a sort of, it was a alone time for me and, and my dad and my uh, my middle brother. Because my dad used to, when we moved to Spain, he still lived over here in the UK. So yeah. he'd fly out every Friday night after work and spend a weekend in Spain with us. And he'd fly and out back, every Monday back morning. Monday morning. Um, so, you know, I, I, we didn't get to see our dad for the whole week. So... 
it started off just watching the Formula One when there was Formula One. Um, and it was just one day I, I remember watching it and I was a big Fernando Alonso fan at the time uh, when he was beating Michael Schumacher. Um, and I was like, oh, you know what? You know, as a young kid, you're like, I, I really want to be one of them one day. And um, and Dad said, well, you know, they start off somewhere and, and that's go-karting. And I said, well, could, can we do that? And he said, yeah, yeah, we can. Let's let's do a little bit of research, see what circuits are near near where we used to live. And um, we'll try it out. He said, you know, my dad's never put any pressure on me uh, at any time. And he's just, at that, at that point, he just said, look, just go out there, try it if you like it we'll carry on and if not then you know you tried it or if you want to do it every now and then it's fine um so i went there with my younger brother i was only five uh my middle brother which was my younger brother at the time was three years old and my dad put us in these hire carts um and from the first lap i just felt like i already felt like i was there like i was a in a formula one grand prix i imagined all the stands there cheering me on and stuff and I absolutely loved it. Um, and it, it just had, that was the moment I realised, I was like, man, I'd, I'd love to do this, you know, for the rest of my life. That would be a dream. And went on from there, really. So how did that then progress? You know, you were five at the time. So yeah. I'm assuming from that moment on, any free time that you had out with school, you were at, you were racing. So how did that start evolving? Um, it, to be honest, it wasn't so much... Um, in between the week. Um, I did other sports, I, I did like football. So I'd done a bit of football during the week. And then when my dad flew out, it was, you know, every Saturday and every Sunday we was there. Um, but yeah, I mean, from, I was five when I first done a few laps in a go-kart. And after that was every other weekend and then turned to every weekend. Uh, then when I was uh, six, my dad bought me my first go-kart. And my brother. Nice. Um, which was I'm very excited that day, mate. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the best days. I remember it clear as day. Um, there's a go kart with a number 27 on it, and just because I like the number, we had lots of carts there, and just because I like the colours of the cart and the and the number 27, I was like, yeah, I like that one. Um, and yeah, and then from then on, I was six. From the age of six till I was seven, I was just practicing around the same track with my cart. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna be good straight away nothing starts off you know glory and so I, but I just kept showing up every weekend because I enjoyed it and to be honest I was putting in all that hard work without realizing because it was something to look forward to something I loved um and yeah by the time yeah from six or seven I was just practicing um when I reached the age of eight is when I first started racing in my first championship wow um and as I said, my dad has never put any, he was actually really nervous because he just, he felt like he'd just thrown in, chucked me in the deep end with all these yep. older kids and bigger kids. I was the youngest there. Um, and he just said, look, mate, your objective for this race is to not get lapped, which is, you know, I started last because I wasn't quick enough yet. Um, yeah, your objective for this race, don't get lapped, which is when the leader overtakes you again. Yep. Um, Better Madison. You know what? Yeah, you know no, what, I don't want it happened. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind, but because that was my objective, you know, I was focusing on, on, on that just one objective. I didn't, I didn't care where I finished. I just didn't want to get lapped. Um, so I finished the race and I didn't get lapped. Nice. And I was so happy. Uh, again, it just shows how little steps go on. And then my next goal 
for the next race was try not to finish last. So I started near I the back. there was an age gap between you and some of the other kids in these go-karts? Yeah, I mean, there was a few, I think there's only two kids around my age, but most okay. of them were nine, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. One, I remember some of the kids were ten already, and at that stage, you know, between seven and eight, there's only a few years, but the, yeah. the difference Quite a big jump, I'd imagine. Thing is a big jump, so, you know, that, that first year did make a difference, I feel. Um, but yeah, uh, the second race, don't finish last, and I didn't finish last, which again, I was very happy, very proud. And it just went on, and I don't remember from then. But I remember the last race of the season, which must have been probably about uh, ten race races in. He said, "Right," he said, "You know, if next year we should be up there. So your goal for this last race is to finish in the top six. And at the time, it was just crazy. Like I was like, "No way, I'm going to finish in the top six. Uh, we qualified around eighth, ninth, and we finished the race sixth. Nice. But I was over the moon. Dad was over the moon. We were so happy we finished on the high because this, this yeah, it was constant progress. We were constantly progressing. Yeah, um, yeah. And your dad was giving you what I think was achievable goals for you. I don't think he would have given you those goals if he didn't think you could get to them. He yeah, exactly. Realised you had determination as well. But yeah. it's pretty cool the way you constantly just kept moving forward. Exactly, and you know, again, it just didn't put me any pressure, uh, which is what I needed at the time. And then, yeah, from then on, that's when it really, you know, I started, the year after that, I started winning races, uh, started losing friends because I was winning. <laughs> um, you know how the world goes. Um, won my first championship that second year. So I was Madrid nice. champion. Uh, then went on to do it another year, was Madrid champion again. It was back to back. Unbelievable. Um, then moved up class, was championing that again. And when I moved out of Madrid, I was a six-time Madrid champion. Uh, and a, it, pretty much in a row. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was one year I didn't. Uh, one of my best mates, which I'm actually still in contact with right now, had won it, which still uh, annoys me to this day. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, and yeah, it's, I think it was across three different classes. Um, so I think it's Albino, Mini Max, and Junior Max. So, yeah, and then from then on, you're like, what do we do, man? I think it's time to step it up. Mm -hmm. So let's race in the Spanish championship, right? So we got into that and it was actually really good because um, in the Spanish championship and Madrid championship, you'd have your own cart, but you wouldn't have your own engine apart from when you practice. So the Saturday before you qualify, you'd pick a ball out of a hat and there'd be a shelf of engines with each engine would have a number on it. And whatever ball you pick, that's your engine for the weekend. Yeah. That's how you know there's no cheating, there was no nothing. Uh, and the cha the championship owner had full control of them engines. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, it, it was a good thing. And it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me earlier on in my career. Um, went on to Spain. And we was up there. I think we finished third in, in my first year in Spain. This is when I was about... Uh, 10 uh, which was I was very happy with it was my first year all these different circuits I went from driving just one to going from this circuit to this circuit to this circuit mm -hmm. which was a challenge but again I was loving it I was living the dream um, and then my second year I became Spanish champion this was in 2012 I was 11 at the time 
Now, if you if you win uh, as a national championship, you qualify for the world championships in it was in Portugal that year. So you, you have the best drivers all around the world um, in this one event, one weekend, and whoever wins in that weekend was world champion. So we qualified for that, which was unbelievable. I mean, in just a few years from... Some progression, man. Some progression. I'm in awe of how quickly Mm. you made these strides. Yeah, it was was crazy from, you know, being happy with finishing sixth in a a Madrid championship to being Spanish champion was was unbelievable. Um, But again, it didn't feel like I was, you know... I was so uh, not critical, but I was always so focused in my driving because I'd got so passionate on the, the driving aspect, not only the sport, but, you know, different ways of driving, techniques, everything. I'd got so into it that, um, you know, it felt right because I was spending so much time uh, developing new skills and, and practicing so much. So I didn't get to be carried away with it because I knew that all the hard work I put in all my passion that's that's why I am where I am now and how I got there so quick um so we qualified for the world finals and and that that was a a one time one and a last time experience that you're there all week so you get your car and not only you get pulled you don't not only you get the ball and you get the engine you also get the car so all you have to do is turn up with well my dad turned up with uh, a toolbox and all you need, yeah, is the toolbox and your helmet and your gear, right? So we get there. Uh, I pick my number. It's number 23. Uh, so the carton engine was 23, which, you know, at the time didn't think much of it. And um, the amount of, of games and sort of sneakiness and sort of cheating, half cheating there was, it was unbelievable because usually you don't know what's going on. You're in your team and you have your intent and you only see what your teammates are doing. And this was like one massive tent, like so long. Every single driver was in this same tent. So you could see exactly what every single driver was doing, every mechanic. And you had people uh, chopping axles down, which is the rear axle of the car to make it, you know, lighter and, and turn quicker, everything. And we were like, mate, we're up against beasts here but you know again because we were humble and because we were happy to be there you know we didn't think too much of it so uh it got to qualifying so we, all, the, all the build up in the practices just four days practice aren't ridiculous and we was always up there you know top 10 six which you know comparing yourself to the best in the world is very good um and it got to qualifying and it was raining and i used to love driving in the rain Absolutely loved it. And I was sort of, me and my dad were rubbing our hands going, you know, this is this is our time. And went out and I'd done two laps and something wasn't right. I wasn't I wasn't feeling right. It was only a, a 20 minute qualifying. So I came in after about three laps. I'm like, there's something not quite right here. There's, I'm just too slow and the cart didn't feel right. And it turned out that I'd had a puncture in my rear right. Ooh. So I'd qualified uh 27th out of 30 cars so we're like all down and you know we've been all this week all this build up and get through 20 27 carts to win it just it wasn't going to happen it was never going to happen so um again i was obviously really upset as a kid i was crying you know wanted to be i didn't want to 
I was happy to be there. I didn't want to be winning straight away. I just wanted to be up there and competing, you know? Yeah. My dad was like, don't worry, just, you know, there's no pressure now. Just go and enjoy yourself. I had two, you had two races on the Sunday, which was the pre-final and then the final. So wherever you finished on the pre-final, like final. So we started a pre-final 27th and got all the way up to sixth and finished sixth nice. in the pre-final. Nice. And was very happy with it. Very happy. Um, and then when came to the final, uh, went from sixth to first in one, uh, two laps, sorry. Led the whole race and uh, and ended up winning the race and was world champion. <laughs> so well, was crying, my dad was crying, like my whole family was just couldn't believe it. You know, went from the lowest point yesterday to being a karting world champion at the age of eleven. It was just like, wow, it was absolutely mind blowing. Well, and yeah, that is inc- that is absolutely is. incredible. No, I'd always remember that when I have a, a crappy weekend or having a, a crappy weekend. I'd always remember that, that anything can happen. It's the same in, in every sport, really. But anything can happen. Never drop your head. Always keep going and always stay positive. And that was a good lesson for me. <laughs> Very good lesson early doors because your mindset was telling you, well, this is this is gone. Yeah. And I was actually feeling it for you there. I was like, oh, gutted, man. Puncture. Yeah. There goes the dream straight away. Yeah. What, yeah. A, what a comeback, man. What a comeback. Yeah. I mean, take that with you through yeah. life now. You know, whatever, because you're going to you're going to deal with some setbacks, especially when you're dealing with a with a car, with a team. Might be a mistake yeah. here and there. Just you yeah, know, yeah. take yourself back to that moment. And so that was a really good good moment to have for you in, in, in an early time. Yeah. What yeah. did you then over the next kind of eight, seven, eight years? What kind of competitions have you have you gone on to take take part in? So um, from that point in, that's it was the year after uh, I moved that to England. So I started karting in the UK mm-hmm. for, and I did karting here in the UK for, I think it was until 2015. So what's that, four, four years, four, five, three, four years. Um, and to be honest, that was like a, you know, when we mentioned setbacks, that was a major setback, probably the biggest setback in, in my karting career. Uh, not because of my driving abilities, but, you know, you turn up and, it's so much more competitive over here. People have tripled the amount of money. We just turned up thinking it was going to be the same as Spain, you know, turn up and pick a ball out of the bag. And But no, you have to have your own equipment, uh, which we just bought an engine off a shelf. And, you know, as you'd imagine, it's nowhere near as quick as, yeah. as kids that are spending. There was a kid, I remember there's a kid there that spent 60 grand on tuning an engine. And what he'd done, he'd bought something. I'm sure it wasn't the kid that spent it. I'm sure it was his... Uh, well, the dad, the, the, you imagine. <laughs> the, the parents that, that yeah. fought out for that. But, I mean, that's a... He's obviously been... There's a lot of privileged kids, it sounds like, that yeah. you, you were coming yeah. from a, a humble humble background. Yeah. Uh, and that was the main thing, really. Uh, just to check the difference in the economy. You know, in Spain, it wasn't doing very well. Whereas over here, is booming. So people had so much money to spend. And yeah, that's what we was up against. We was up, up against 60 grand engines, uh, people paying a grand a day to be in this team. Um, and it was tough, man. It was really tough because I was like, man, I've, I just I just became a world champion and I'm coming over here and, and I can't even finish in the top 15. Like, what the hell is going on? And it, 
yeah, it, it was a setback. Well, I always kept my head high. Uh, I always kept digging. And yeah, every year would get better and better. Um, and it was a shame because I never won nothing karting-wise in the UK. It's, it's something that, you know, I would have liked to have done. But, you know, by the time I'd, I'd finished my karting career uh, in 2015, I was, I finished my last race third in, in the British National Championship. So I was getting there. That last year, we was, we was very competitive. We wasn't consistent, but we was always there or thereabouts, um, which was good. Um, and that's what brought me into the, into the car world. Um, I'd been spotted by, uh, I don't, you probably don't know the team, but um, Arden is a, at the time was a Formula 2 and Formula 2, Formula 3 and Formula 4 team. So it's a massive base team. Mm-hmm. Um, the owner of the team is Red Bull Racing's team manager. So I know who they are. Christian Horner. He run the team. We didn't run it, but it was his. So he, and he let his brother and his dad run it. And they sent their spot around. I remember I was in Wright House. And... Um, he pulled me up, said, "Can can me, uh, you and your dad have a chat?" I was just like, "Yeah, it's fine. We'll have a chat later." Didn't think nothing of it. I mean, I saw the jacket and the logo, but I didn't know nothing about it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, he just said, "Look, man, uh, we we starting this academy, the YRDA, which we want to get kids from karting up to F four team and progress all the way up to F 2 Um. And yeah, just want to, you know, make that transition from car into cars it can be very rough. So we they were trying to make it as smooth as possible. Um, so yeah, I'd, I mean, I've been spotted by him, which was we were like, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't win. I think I finished sixth that race. And he said, yes, yeah, it's, it's not about that. I can see that you're, you obviously haven't got the best equipment, the best car. And I, I saw the only kid out there that was fighting for everything he had and got 100 percent out of what what he had um so yeah that's that was what started me you know thinking getting into formula four um and yeah lots of simulator training lots of physical training uh, to be honest they've done so well that you know the transition up to f4 was as smooth as it could possibly have been um quite a few practice days which was good uh yeah and this, this was all in 20 uh end of 2015 so by 2016, obviously wanted to compete. Um, so I couldn't, I couldn't start the the F4 championship because I was too young. You had to be 15 to, to compete. So I had to miss nearly, nearly half of the season. I had to sit out and watch, um, which was rather painful. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and after that, it's, it was tough. It was emotional as well because that was literally every single penny that we'd had saved up going into that season. Um, you know, we thought, is a, you know, even if we only do one season, we could save them. We made it to Formula 4 from driving in, in in Madrid, you know, from just getting a car at the back of a trailer and we made it all the way up here. It was proud. Um, again, well, as I mentioned, we're not a, a massively financial well wealthy family. You know, as I said, my dad works as an engineer in London underground, so there's there's not the the massive budget. No, there's not thousands and thousands of quid there to, to chuck at it. So and you know, motorsport is a money world, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, uh, completed my first race. Uh, 
I done I done all right. Finished probably fourth, fifth from last. So I was doing okay. It wasn't slow, but I wasn't nothing great in the first weekend. And then as the weekends came on, started fin- started qualifying seventh, finishing sixth, getting up there, showing some good aggression. Uh, and that year they had the rookie championship, so everyone that had entered that year from karting, yeah. they had their own separate championship. And by the last round, I had finished. It was really scary, actually, because I, I, I was I was the youngest kid there, and I'm up against the two title contenders in the last race. One of them was 16, and the other one was 17, and I was only just turned 15. So I qualified second. I've got one title contender in front of me and one title contender behind me. Nice. Um, so I'm sitting there like, oh God, like, what the hell did I do? I'm just going to ruin everything. <laughs> so I started, but obviously I was fighting for myself because I had to, you know, get some good finishing to try and build a name for myself for next year and get some people to invest and sponsor in me for, my, for the following year. So I started and the geezer behind uh, had a really bad start and he fell quite a few places behind. So I was in a comfortable position. I was pressuring the guy in the lead and all he had to do was finish the race, really. Mm-hmm. and the geezer that was behind started coming through the field one one lap one the other lap one the other lap, and he came up behind me and i'm like he was so quick he was honestly like he was fighting for his for his life because he wanted that championship so bad i'm like god is he gonna have me here i thought you know what just stick with it just defend do your usual things just forget that it's, he's fighting for a title so I did. He tried getting me a few times, and you know I blocked him off uh, the way I should have, and done everything right, and finished the race second uh, after the whole race. And the last few laps, I, I got comfortable because at the start I wasn't used to being so high up. So it took me a few laps to get settled down, and by the end I was like, man, like, I feel comfortable here. I can push. I could even go for the win. Yeah. So I started pushing. Confidence started growing. And I was pressuring the leader for the last two, three laps. I didn't manage to get him, but you know, ended up uh, ending that season finishing second. Um, I think he's still the youngest ever uh, podium uh, at the age of 15 in a few days. And I finished the rookie championship second out of everyone that had just entered, even though I'd missed mm-hmm. the season. Strike me as a strike me as a, a as a kid who picks things up fast. Um you because you go from like let's be honest, average positions. Yeah. But you're obviously learning during those races a lot. Yeah. Because your, your jump is never just like, I'll go up a couple of spaces. You, yeah. go, up to the, you go up to the real competition and real championship yeah. ends. Yeah. Um, so, and you, you, it brings me on to talk to you. You must be a mentally tough, tough guy as well, because that's a lot of pressure, a, a lot of young age and a 15-year-old shoulders to be dealing with. So is that something that your dad sounds like? I know you said that you've said it a lot. He doesn't put pressure on you, but he strikes me as quite a. I think the humble element really comes out of you here, and um, with your family background, I can imagine he keeps your feet on the ground always. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, and my dad would always make sure that that I'm not getting too carried away myself, um, and that my feet are always on the ground, and you know, it is the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, it. It is very tough. The mental aspect is so important. So, so important. There's a saying that they say is a happy driver is a fast driver. And, and that's just being comfortable and confident, let alone 
being put under pressure at 120 miles an hour, making split decisions where you have go or back out, otherwise you're going to have a huge accident. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you fight for a championship as well, that, that pressure really builds up because people know that you're that you can't risk absolutely everything. So they try to be a bit more aggressive with you. And you know you've got a championship in your hand. There's a lot, there's a lot of mental preparation. Uh, there's quite a few mental tests I've been through. Um, but actually, they just put all these sensors in your head and they see how your brain activity works and what waves. And I didn't really understand it, but they put these things on while you're driving and they see how your brain works. Mm-hmm. Just, but that's just the reactions and, and everything side of things but yeah I mean it's, it's so tough you know I think the toughest thing is it's, it's good to build momentum especially in a race weekend let alone in a season so if, if you're slow on a Thursday and the car's not feeling right and you're like man I've got qualifying tomorrow morning and you know I'm two seconds off you don't feel it's hard to get yourself up that morning that following morning be like you know what regardless of anything you still have to challenge for the for the victory here um and yeah and then you've got there's lots of mind games as well between drivers uh, things that you say in the press to wind each other up and stuff i personally have never really read any articles that the championship or or um, sports magazines motorsport magazines have put out um just simply because you know people would throw in a few things and stuff to try to get at you well you don't really don't know what they'll never say in your foot to your face really and if they did they'd be in trouble so <laughs> get used to that mate get used to that that's the that's the nature of the world unfortunately um a lot of keyboard keep and as you climb up the ladder there's going to be a lot of keyboard warriors out there so yeah. i think you keeping yourself focused on what you have to do and not yeah. letting that i mean we're living in an era where social media is you know everybody uses it and you see yeah. it, you know, people can go from a hero one day to the yeah. biggest villain the next. So I would I would say start preparing yourself for that because as you're obviously, we're going to talk about it, you're, you're continuing through the ladder. Hopefully you're headed well on your way to Formula One. When you get there, when you see that the, the Lewis Hamilton's in that, they, they can be praised and they can be absolutely slated as well. Yeah. The nature of the beast, unfortunately, you chose a, you've chose a tough, tough path. But that's again, that's, that's that's the mental aspect, right? It's, it's it's such a hard game where one weekend you'd win two races, the press were all over you. There's so many good positive things about you. Next Formula One star, and you you feel this buzz, you feel this energy, and, and it gets you so high. And then it could literally the following weekend just you could have a bit of a mingo, like I call it. Yeah. <laughs> and you you just can't you and you just forgotten just like that. And people won't write about you. And if they do, is oh, he struggled. And this is honestly, it's like it, last week I felt like I was <laughs> the up and coming Lewis Hamilton. And now I feel like I'm a tractor driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but don't let that, don't let that, don't let that get to you, man, because that is going to, that is going to be there, especially because of your, your profile and the fact that you're, you're getting to, you're getting close to the top, top level of this stuff. It's mm. a cool world, mate. So mm. just prepare prepare yourself for that. So beyond this um, coming second, what what other tournaments have you you taken part in? So from then on, I uh, I competed uh, in the following season in the same championship in British Formula Four, and 
for me, that was the turning point in my career where I was, I put a lot of pressure on myself. People put pressure, but behind the scenes, they weren't really, you know, they were saying, yeah, the team was like, yeah, we're going to, you know, put our 100% focus on you, you know, make sure that we give you everything we can so you can win. So I'm preparing myself to win a championship mentally, physically, and I'm expecting to do well. When it turns out that, you know, I had put everything I had into it, but another driver came in with triple the budget, or another few drivers came in as my teammates with triple the budgets, and I was sort of left with the leftovers put aside sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't a bad season. I'd won a race, um, got a pole position, I think that season got one, pretty sure, and finished uh, seventh in the championship. So it's still is a very competitive championship. You've got kids from all over the world, Red Bull, Red Bull Academy drivers, everything. So it was not a bad, it was not a bad uh, achievement, but there was so much hype. You know, again, the media was hyping me up, you know, second year and he finished his last race second. He must, he must go, he must challenge for the title. And I was nowhere near a, a title contender. So for me, I'm like, what do we do now? We're struggling for money anyways. We're struggling to pay off the team. Uh, my dad had to remortgage the house um, to, to keep me racing that season. Wow. Um, and some, sometimes I wouldn't know if, I, if I'd be able to turn up because they'd say, look, well, you're so behind on your bills that you know, if you don't give us this by this race, I'm afraid we're not going to bring your car. So it was a tough, it was a tough year, but again, the turning point. So I'd learned so much from that year because, again, I think for me it was one of the best years I'd ever performed, uh, driving-wise. But I just didn't have the right, the, the right people, the right power, the, any everything, just lacked of everything around it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, disappointed with that season. So, but again, that was only my first full season. I was still young. Yeah, you're still that's it. That's the brutalness, but you by get by by becoming second, it almost almost worked against you because people were yeah. expecting from you. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and to be fair, I know it's a good thing, but as you said, it was probably the worst thing because you know people were, were expecting too much from what I had and the equipment I had. Um, so then I went on to do it another year, and this year we, we I mean, as I said, we had to remortgage house in in 20 uh in 2017 so the 2018 season we was going for the cheapest deal um with you know the low budget teams which are literally just turned up as pretty much no practicing no testing involved uh, part-time mechanics part-time engineers you turn up and race so i'd sign up for for jhr that year and for me that was the biggest turning point because I had no pressure because I was like look for me I was mentally I was preparing myself to go elsewhere I was thinking you know if this year don't work out F1's not going to be possible because I'm, I'm not I haven't got the money I haven't got the money to get all the way up there and I'm not going to get the money unless I get results and my first weekend race weekend at Browns Hatch wasn't expecting much done Two or three test days and yeah it was wasn't slow it was again it was about fifth sixth just around the top 10 um and it was it was raining and it was getting drier and drier and we thought you know it's mixed conditions we went out in slicks but part of the circuit was drier part of it was wet 
again, wasn't expecting much. And I ended up getting uh, two pole positions because you get a pole position for your fastest lap, which uh, is your starting grid for the first race. Okay. Then the second race is a reverse grid from where you finished the first race. And then your second fastest lap in qualifying qualifies you for the third race. Okay. So I'd got the fastest lap out of the whole session that qualified me in pole for the first race. And I'd got the second fastest lap, which also qualified me in pole for the third race. And it's my first ever double pole position. And we're like, God, like, what the hell? Like, we was not expecting that at all with, you know, no testing, no nothing, just gone out there and driven. And ended up winning two races out of three and finished second in the other one. And we was, we was like, man, I'm, I'm leading the championship. Um, I just won all these races, got all these pole. I've never done any of this before in, in no. a car. Wow, like, it was a massive booster. Um, anyways, it was, it was a very mentally uh, sort of fatiguing year because fighting for a title is so different. Um, you've got to be conservative, but then you can't be very conservative. You've got to make the right move at the right time. Everything's got to be spot on, clean, no dramas. Mm -hmm. Uh, which again was, was experience for me. I've, I've never done that before. Fortunately, we we finished the championship second. Uh, but again, you know, with lots of politics involved, with engine power and all these other stuff, which I knew I was going to get anyways. Um, but still, it, it was so good. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm just finished second. There's again, there was hope, there was fire, there was motivation. There's, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can still do this. We can still go all the way. Now, that same year, I got invited, I was about three quarters into the season and I, I'd won four races by that point that season and had four pole positions. And uh, Chris Dittman Racing, which is a British Formula 3 team, had got in contact with me and said, look, um, there's an opportunity. I'm going to leave it really cheap because I haven't got any drivers. We've been struggling to find drivers. And when we do, our results are not great. He said, would you like to come to Spa for Upper Charts to, to do a race weekend, which is a, a Formula One back in Belgium, my, well, my favourite circuit. Um, I'm like, well, it depends how cheap the deal was. And he, he left it so dirt cheap, we just couldn't refuse it. Yeah. So we went there, never driven a car before, never driven a Formula 3 car. Again, no pressure. My dad's like, just go out there and enjoy it, get a feel for it. You never know if you're going to ever drive a Formula 3 car again. You know, you've got to take every opportunity. So we turned up. The first practice was 17th out of 20. Second, second practice, 13th. Third practice, 10th. Fourth and last practice, 9th. We're like, okay, you know, we're top 10. You know, considering, again, it wasn't a massive team, wasn't a massive setup, but considering they've been struggling to get drivers and, They've, you know, their results haven't, haven't been great when they have, you know, we didn't know what we was going to expect. Um, came to qualify and we qualified fourth. And I hadn't, I mean, this is three quarters into a season. So all the other drivers had had all the testing, all the experience of racing um, was over the moon. My dad's like, have you just done that? It was unbelievable. We were so happy with it. It turned out the team was actually really good. They just couldn't get the, the right drivers behind right. Um And the car was amazing. So I'm like, man. I was going to ask you that. Is this, did this all of a sudden, have, I'm assuming, extra, you've got more power 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you, and you always strike me as listening to your journey, the talent's there. If you've got yeah. the right tools, you can yeah. really work with them. So did you feel that when you got behind the room? Yeah. Did you feel that, oh, I've got some, I've got something, something else yeah. here now? Because imagine, imagine moving into a different, uh, you know, I know it's different in cricket, but imagine you just move up to a bigger league, let's say, yep. and you're doing well straight away. It's gonna... like jumping, it's like for me, I would put it, I'm playing a club game on a Saturday and I'm yeah. facing a guy that's bowling 73, 74 miles per hour. Then yeah. I go out to play against Australia and there's a guy bowling 95 miles per hour. Yeah. That's a big, big jump. So I'm just talking, the car that you, or the, ve the vehicle that you were using before you went into this, I'm assuming didn't have that quite yeah. happy speed. And the fact that you sounded like you were using quite a weak engine prior mm. to that because of your budget. And now yeah. you've been back to going to a team and you're driving a total new machine here. Yeah. That must have felt good. Yeah, to be honest, it did. Um, to put your foot down and when you feel your whole body go back, you know, twice as much shit in the other car, it definitely puts a smile on you just from the passion point of view and the driving point of view. Yeah. But, you know, to just step up like that and be straight on the pace, you feel like I'm not even driving to my full capabilities yet. If, if I'd done this season, you know, I would I would have 100% put it on proposition. I have no doubt about that. Um, so uh, it was a bit of a, a messy weekend because I've never done a start in these cars and the clutches are all different depending on, you know, an F4 and an F3 clutch is completely different. So I'd screwed up my start in the first race and we'd used our best tyres for that race. Uh, got, in, got into a bit of an accident. Well, obviously, I had such a poor start. I was in the middle of everyone and everything and lost my front wing in the first lap. So we had to come in, change the wing, went back out, finished around the back. So that qualified me because I finished near the back and the second race is a reverse career. That qualified me first. Now... Because I'd used my best tyres, I'd only had used tyres. Whilst people that started at the back in the first race, knowing that they're going to get a good starting position for the second race, would have saved their tyres. Um, so I'm up against, you know, the, the previous F4 champion, which I've raced with the year before. He'd moved up and done that season. And he was starting near me and he had fresh tyres. So there was, there was very competitive. There was a very competitive grid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I finished. I finished that race fourth, and I was only a few a few seconds behind the winner. And that's with old tyres. And again, there's another thing. If I would have had, you know, obviously I wouldn't have known that I would have had a crash in the first lap in the first race. But you know, if I would have had fresh tyres, I would have been challenging for a race victory. Um, so that was a really. It was a time where we we're thinking, you know, a possible move for this team could be on the cards for next season. So we finished second. We finished the, the F4 season that year after that and finished second. Um, so then he got in contact with us. He's like, look, do you wanna, we're, really, we're really interested in you. We never had a driver like you uh, that can develop the car so quickly and, and all of this. You know, we want to do our best to give you, you know, the lowest budget we can possibly offer you to do the uh, British Formula 3 season. And that was in 2019. Nice. Um, so we managed to get a deal and, and it was again really cheap uh, but even though it was really cheap it only gave us five days testing five days practice so you know we knew that it was going to be quick because we, we already proved that we was and we'd shown our pace 
uh, in Spa, but again, new competitors, new people with new budgets, don't know how much testing they're going to do. All of these questions start, you know, sort of sinking in. Now, this, by the way, is the best group of, of people that I've ever worked with. Uh, the engineering staff are just at this time, at this world, sorry, it was, and I've learned so much engineering-wise, which is important as well. Okay. Um, so, again, you can only develop your driving skills to a certain point, but then to take it to the next level, you need to know exactly what you want from a car, and not only what you want from it, but, you know, give examples. You start knowing how this change feels. You start knowing how this little tweak to the rear wing does uh, different springs. So you can come in and say, the car's doing this. I feel like I need a soft front spring, or I feel like I need a stiffer rear spring. Mm-hmm. And they've, they they taught me all of that. But anyways, I'm, I'm going off the story here. Oh, so, what, what, so, so they would teach you when to, when to know so if you're feeling this, that'll probably be that. Yeah. So let us know. You need to let us know so we can yeah. get straight. So stuff like that, because yeah. you're really important to give the instructions. You know what's going on when you're on that track. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it was so important because not only you'd, you'd mention I want this changing, but in a race weekend, after all the testing is completed, you spend hours in meetings in offices, filling out paperwork, what the car's doing each corner. And you have discussions of changes for the car for the following morning. Now, if if you have the confidence and an ability to agree and disagree to the different options, because they usually give you two or three options a week of change, yeah. it's a massive game changer. And that for me was a huge step because they say, right, we could change this, we could change this, we could check, what do you think? And I'd go, because I know how it'd feel roughly, I'd be like, mm, no, I wouldn't change that. I'd definitely go for this option but with a bit off the third option or, or mix it up. So, and again, and that, that showed me as well about getting the team behind you, how important it is, simply because you'd want to be, you'd want to treat people how you'd like to be treated. So I can, I can see myself, you know, working extremely hard all day, putting wheels on, changing this in the car, changing out of the car. If my driver comes over and, blankly ignores me in the morning and doesn't offer me this a tea or a bite to eat or nothing I'm going to think you know he's not really he's not a great bloke (laughs) so then without even thinking about it you won't do his better job because there's no passion involved so when I come in to my team every morning I say good morning to every single person in that team I'd offer a tea to anyone or some bit or anything and every Friday night would have a meal, a sit-down meal with all the mechanics because you build that friendship, you build that bond. And actually, they're not only just doing their job. You've got to remember they're in this job because they must be passionate about racing. Mm-hmm. So not only, you know, they're passionate about what they're doing, they're doing their job, but also they're being passionate with who they're working with. And that makes a huge step. Not only mechanics, but engineers. They want to give their best. They want to, you know work as hard as they can to make sure that you have the best car that's the turning point um so yeah that year was really a, a turning point in that sense for me um, it's interesting you say that i'm not going to claim to know formula one or formula you know racing inside out i i, I watch a bit of, i watch a bit of it 
Um, I follow it on, you know, Sky Sports News and you get your updates. Yeah. And there's fallouts that happen all the time between the team and the driver. Mm-hmm. And then, it, you, you know, I know sport quite well, so I pick things up pretty well. And then I start to realise they could really screw things up for the driver. If yeah. the driver is being an arse, basically, and mm-hmm. not, you know, being very, treating his team, they, they could quite easily, well, I'm just not going to, oh, you're good to go, mate. Um, maybe not life-threatening, but maybe just not sending you out there with the best chance you've got to actually succeed and win the race. And then you've only got yourself to blame when you come in because if you've been acting like a bit of an arse, then then deal with it. So Certainly. I think your attitude is uh, is very refreshing. I'll be honest, racing drivers strike me as they can be quite arrogant and quite flash yeah. and quite, you yeah. know, I'm the be-all and end-all. Talking to you has been, you know, I'm, I'm getting a really good vibe from you and I think it comes a lot from your upbringing. I think yeah. your parents... I've got a big, big input in this. You know, they've kept you grounded. They've yeah. kept you focused on what you're doing, kept your feet in the ground. And I mean, even now, you're at a point now where you're, you've had, you've bloody achieved the world title when you're, when you're 11 <laughs> years old. A lot of people could have got carried away with that. Yeah. But you're still sitting very, very humble um, in what you're talking about. And I think keep that with you, man, going all through yeah. life because it really will stand you in good stead. Treat the, the thing you said, so powerful, treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. That's always going to stand. Look, you're going to meet some people that just won't like you. That's the, that, yeah. it doesn't matter what you do. You can't people please. But I think more often than not, you're going to, you're going to build good teams. So where do you, where does this journey go then in 2019? You've, you've got your team in place. You've built a really good, yeah. really good relationship with them. Yeah. So it's probably my most enjoyable year of racing where I was just having so much fun. I was bringing in results. I was constantly in the top three. Uh, that year, I ended up uh, having, uh, I think it's three race wins and three pole positions, if I'm right. And I was constantly up there. I was never, I was never struggling. I was never, there's never a point where I've had a, a bad weekend. You know, I was high in confidence. I was happy. The team was happy. They'd never had results like this before. So it's good for them too, and it was just a very good vibe. Everyone good was all right. Yeah, everyone was everyone's in the in the same you know in the same direction, which is good. Um, yeah. So that year we finished. Uh, we finished. I was in a title contention until the last race, and unfortunately, you know, we got beat. But you know, there was a few things I could have changed. I'll put my hands up. I'm, I'm the first one when it comes to driving. There was a few times in that season where, you know, I'd, I'd make a few mistakes and go for a move that I shouldn't have. But, you know, for me, I, I always learn from it. And it's funny, actually, because me and, and this driver called uh, uh, Jonathan, oh God, we were clearly the best, not the best, but the quickest drivers that year. Uh, and every every single session is rather him or me first, first and third, second, third. It was always, it was always up there. But we were the ones that made the mistakes. And it was mainly in reverse grids when you start from the back. And you've got to get through the you know, slow ones. And they're not, they wouldn't make decisions that you'd think that you'd make yourself. Um, and we were the two that made the most mistakes in those races. And the kid who won the championship was just consistent. He was never the quickest every single race weekend. Mm-hmm. It was just always fifth, fourth, fifth, fourth fourth, uh, third, who'd win the odd race. Um, and that for me was like, wow, like if, if and I, I'm going to say, it, I was like, 
if we only kept our cool at times and you know so that comes back down to this down there Tom. obviously that comes yeah. back to the mental if yeah. you now get the mental side of the game the talents yeah the talents there but uh you know just being mentally solid in future races consistently yeah. will stand you in good stead there you go it's 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 fun in the sweet spot and every now and then during this during the season you'd go one way or the other because the perfect is being aggressive but just about not aggressive enough to overdo it because you've got to be so aggressive most of the time it's very easy to overstep it but it's also very easy to understep it so sometimes you can go oh i should have done this I should have gone for this move i should have you know been a bit more aggressive here with him and you know you you sort of alter it through the season you have your highs and lows same as you know any sportsman same as for you cricket people or footballers you know they go through form same yeah. thing um but yeah it comes down to the mentally so i finished that season third very happy i was i was in a good place uh, racing and in life and i got i was actually i was doing a lot of traveling later that year because i was exploring options uh, abroad so i was i spent a few days in america with a, uh, the road to indycar uh, which is a, a championship and they run all the championships below indycar uh, and i'd been there i spent time with indycar teams which was you know an amazing experience um i was flying out to tokyo and to japan to Visit all these different teams and getting my name out there. I bet you've seen some engines out there. Oh yeah, <laughs> especially in they know that they know their, they know their stuff. I think they know how yeah. to to get yeah. the best out of things. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it was actually I was in in the airport, uh, waiting for my flight to go to Japan, and I got this phone call from from this random number. I didn't know who it was, and I, and I just picked up because I was you know you, you're bored, you're waiting for the for the flight. To come up and I said hello it says it says I went yeah and um it was Derek Warwick on the phone which is an ex Formula One driver oh wow and he's a member of the BRDC and is the person that runs the young driver of the year awards which there's lots of things that you get out of it you get a Formula One test at the end of it uh you got 200k price money uh and then just for competing you know I've I've got uh, Thing is like a six grand watch just for being well i'm sort of spoiling it but listen you need to pay your dad's mortgage off after all this oh no mate <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah he said yeah i'm just ringing up to let you know that uh, i'm delighted to tell you that you've been nominated for the young driver of the year award and i'm like my first thought because this was they only tell you about a week before two weeks before and you have to go for all these fitness assessments, simulator assessments. You got to prepare for this. It's the biggest. It's the biggest thing you're gonna ever gonna do as a young racing driver. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, great! I didn't know what to say. I was like, thank you very much for this. He said, any questions, whatever, blah blah blah. And I just realised on the flight that I'm about to spend half of my time that I've got available to train and to work on my simulator skills. Uh, abroad eating crappy food on the flight because that's all they give you yeah and i remember i'm like oh man so i was sort of panicking a little bit it it didn't turn out so bad uh, i got back and I've, i went through a really intense training camp with my trainer um 
which was really good and actually was the fittest out of the other four drivers, uh, three drivers, sorry. Um, but anyways, let me explain. You, you get nominated by from Formula 3 up to, from British Formula 3 up to World F3 and the best British drivers that they see, they've got the talent and they've done well that season, get nominated. So in theory, you're one, one of four best drivers in the UK at the moment, young drivers. Um, so I knew I'd be up against the best and everything had to be, you know, spot on. And um, so I'd done my fitness. This is all in Red Bull. So again, the big stage, you do all your fitness assessments in the Red Bull racing gym and you do your simulator assessments, the racing simulator. Uh, they use the actual F1 sim that F1 drivers use in Red Bull. And you go in and I met the, the boss of Red Bull, met all these people and it was just so overwhelming. And you walk in, the first thing you see is massive. It is it, honestly, this cabinet, I couldn't even explain how big it was, just full of trophies, their world titles, everything. The car, you know, the, the drinks, the, the everything. Stuff, the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah, yeah. And I was so overwhelmed. And again, you just feel like, man, I was just rolling out a car at the back of a trolley, you know, <laughs> a few years back. And I'm sitting here, you know, getting fit, fitness assessments, everything in a Red Bull racing factory. Um, so, yeah, I'd done my fitness assessment, uh, which went really well. Uh, they, they're not obviously not allowed to tell you then. But after they, they did mention that, you know, I was the fittest there, which I was happy with. I put a lot of work into that. But then came the simulator assessment. Now, I'm a bit of a purist and a bit of an old school driver where I would only use the simulator if I was to learn a new track. Because for me, I'm, I'm not stubborn, but I'm very sort of, you know, I'm very in my zone. And I have done a lot of simulator back in you know learning to drive a car and one of my weaknesses I felt is that I was doing that much simulator that I was using references bumps things that weren't really there you can never get 100% right it's going to be there about the layout would be very good mm-hmm. but if you get used to driving these machines you're not driving a real car and you're not driving the real circuit you know mm-hmm. so I lacked a bit there it was a bit that I'd, I'd wished I, I put a bit more work I did put work in but, you know, I didn't put enough because I couldn't, I didn't have enough time. Um, so at that point there, they did mention I, I wasn't quite there uh, feedback-wise for the sim. I mean, I'm really good feedback-wise in the car because it's very easy to feel, you know, your body's moving one side or the other and you can feel, you know, your ass moving before your legs, you know. <laughs> yep. So in a, in a, you know, in a sort of stationary machine, it was a, it was a bit harder. So I struggled a bit with that, to be honest. But... That sort of put me a, a bit step back, but then two weeks after that is the actual assessment. Now you go in and you have the first thing you do is you hand in your phone. You're not allowed to have your phone. You're there for three days. Um, the first day is all media, so they put you all through these uh, media obligations and stuff. This is just to see how you react and how you do mentally. So I spent all that day doing media interviews, everything, filming. And at the end of the day, you get to watch the previous winner drive the F1 car. So that was good. And seeing them, off, I could really see myself being that person that following mm-hmm. year. And I'm like, man, man, this has to be me. This is my chance. 
this is my dream to drive a Formula One car. This is my dream. Um, so yeah, you, you you follow someone to your hotel. Um, I got to the hotel. You have to sit with all. It's very. It's a very strange, uh, sort of environment. Not because it's weird, but because you don't see it coming. So you sit down. You think you're just going to sit down with everyone and just have a meal. Now, they don't tell you that every twenty minutes every driver's going to swap positions to talk to different judges. So you have to go through the same conversation again and again, explaining, you know, this is what I do, this is where I want to go, build a, a relationship with those people. And by the end of the meal, you're exhausted. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they put you, it's so intense. But anyways, because you haven't got your phone, they give you these sort of alarm boxes and i've never used one before and they, they explain how to do it sort of in the instructions so i've set my time for i had to be at the track by eight so i set it up by seven not a problem you had you had breakfast at the track and you'd meet that you get an alligator uh you get a specific engineer that's going to be there the whole time so that's when you meet him you go for breakfast then you build again try to build a friendship as quick as you can you've only got a few minutes in breakfast before you get to work so I've um I've woke up that morning at about six a.m. feeling dreadful, the worst I'd ever felt. I felt like I'd had some sort of cold. I was shivering, and I'm like, man, you know, what the hell? Typical, eh? Typical. Not when you want that to happen. And I very rarely, you know, everyone would tell you, uh, my girlfriend would tell you, I very rarely get ill, and I'm waking up. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, touch wood. <laughs> but especially now with COVID. But I've gone out of all... Of it, any day I could have been ill. Like, I could have been ill a day after. I would have felt a lot better. But, you know, again, yeah. I don't know what I'm coming up with today. I don't know what's going to happen, what to expect. So I've gone back to sleep thinking, yeah, I've got about another hour. And I could hear... I could hear so it's not a hotel. You have little houses and cabins. And it had bits of stone, so you could hear people leaving with their trolleys and their kit. And I kept hearing like, people walking, and I'm going, my alarm, has, my alarm hasn't gone off, so I must be all right. So I, was, I stayed in bed, obviously still feeling bad. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to check just in case. And thank God I did. I got up and I checked. And it was, uh, I think it was half eight, uh, not half eight, half seven. And I'm like, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, the quickest shower at didn't have a shower, I just literally brushed my teeth as quick as I could, splashed my face, got everything done, ready. Um, put the circuit up on a sat-nav on my car. Managed to get there. I, I was there a little bit late, which again, it, it sets you back. It's not a good impression. No, no, it's not. Not when you're uh, when they would they would have been frowned upon, but I, I'd yeah. imagine. Yeah, and I remember I remember thinking on the way, I was like, man. I turn up for the first day late. I mean, what the hell? Like, and I'm meant to be driving, and I'm tired because I've been up most of the night feeling crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I managed to dig out some painkillers that I had in my bag, and, and I just had them quickly. Um, so I turn up, and I I just had to apologise to everyone. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but my alarm just did not go off. He goes, all right, let's speak to the to the hotel person later when you get back, and we'll we'll check your your thing, your alarm. Okay, no worries. 
anyway, I got there, I had breakfast with my engineer and I've been told that I'm going to drive a Formula 2 car, uh, Ligia LMP3 prototype, which is what they use in Le Mans, and also uh, an Aston Martin Vantage GT3. Now, I'd never driven a GT3 before or a prototype and a step up from an F3 to an F2 is pretty big. So I was up for a big day and I was not up for it mentally. I'd been set back. It was it was not good, but I got in and the first session was in the F2. You spend most your your assessments in the F2. In the F2, it was hard physically and mentally, uh, a massive step up. And again, these kids had been they knew that there was going to be different cars and they tell you what cars you're going to, you're going to drive so they can prepare themselves if you had the money. Um, so they were driving World F3 cars and some of them driven an old F2 car, which, you know, gets you prepared, you know, more or less what to expect. Um, and same, they've tested GT cars, they've tested uh, prototype cars. So again, thrown in the deep end because I haven't got the money to be testing all these different things. And um, yeah, to be honest, the the actual uh, sort of examination process was not only hard, but I think it's the most enjoyable time I'd spent. I just loved it because I love again, I love driving cars. So I get yeah, into all these cars. I'm like a kid. I'm like, these are the best cars you've ever driven in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, new experiences, everything. So, so the illness, the, the the fever and stuff, probably just. Sometimes it's weird the way things happen. The excitement and the adrenaline probably yeah. took over. As soon as I jumped in the F2, I felt completely fine, uh, which, you know, I knew it would happen because I've, I've turned up to track ill before, but the adrenaline just, you know, washes everything away, luckily. But, you know, I got to your awards night, which was a few months later. Uh, big event, hotel in London, uh, Formula One drivers there. I met Lando Norris, Alex Alburn. Uh, Lewis Hammond didn't make it because he's probably... Uh, too high end or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's probably a thousand people there, all round tables, massive, massive event. And it's not only they don't only announce the young driver of the year, but they announce other you know events and mm -hmm. they announce other winners of trophies. And uh, a few F1 drivers had got a trophy or two there. That's why they were probably there. And at the very end of the night, before the show ends, they announced the Young Driver of the Year. Now, I'm sitting at my table with all of my family, all of my sponsors. This is another thing, you know, all your sponsors are there. They're cheering you on. They believe in you. They think you're going to win everything. Uh, the tables around me, obviously, the other drivers with their families, their sponsors, their friends. And it was the most painful 10 seconds of my life when they said, and the winner is... And they just sit there silent. I'm like, oh my god! You can hear your heart just going boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god! Just say it. And my name didn't come out. Now, I was distraught. When when I heard someone else's name, I was like, mate, I've screwed it. I've completely yeah. screwed it. You know, I've got everyone here cheering me on, expecting me to win. I thought I'd done a good enough job, to be honest, because I actually did feel very comfortable. Mm -hmm. I was very happy with the job I'd done um, after waking up late. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so devastating. Again, it's the, the highs and lows. Again, li life humbles you, man. You, I went from my best season and the most enjoyable season I'd ever had 
I was at the highest point in my life, and now I'm like, I've, I've screwed it. Like, you feel and like you, you, need, and you need to remember that the pride that you felt when you got that phone call, you probably didn't even think you were going to be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, but that's another hype thing, isn't it? You, you're yeah. on top of the world. You're, you want more. You want more. Yeah, yeah. You're one of the best drivers in the UK. That's it. End off that year. Mm-hmm. And then you go to that and yeah, it's 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 mind blowing, and not only that, you know, the the worst thing is is when you think you've done a good enough job, and you haven't quite reached there, you mm. haven't quite got there. Um, again, the politics get involved, the theories start coming out. You know, previous drivers tell me that it's all a rigged competition. I don't believe it is, but they they tell you it is. I'd imagine it's got a. I'd imagine it's got a little bit of who you yeah, know and, uh, yeah, exactly. and how high level your backing is, and there'll be a few strings that can get pulled. Listen, that's the nature of of yeah. life across all 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 sports and and anything yeah. in general. But you know, genuinely, you should be proud of yourself, man. Like I'm oh, not. Yeah. I'm not even trying to say it from the point of view of like, oh, don't worry, Ayrton. You know, this is high level stuff, mate. This is. Uh, you are, you know, you can, you just need to now remember that feeling and yeah. go on from there yeah. and and, and, exactly. and go that extra mile because you've always got more to give, mm. but be proud, man. Be proud. Yeah, yeah. These experiences are going to stand you in bloody good stead when you start to now go through the, through the gears. I mean, obviously pandemic soon hit after that must've been, a, it must've been, is that, do you think that's been a, Giving you time to reflect on, or just slow down a little bit, and or how are you feeling about that? You want the when the pandemic hit first, uh, it gave me time to reflect, but it wasn't good. It, it wasn't good time. Too um, much time in your own thoughts. Yeah, and and after coming from the back of that, you know, it, it wasn't what I needed. What I needed was to get back racing, get back to doing what I love, and you know, go back to proving myself that you know. I knew I was always a good driver. I knew at that at that point I was still a good driver just because I hadn't won it doesn't mean I'm a bad driver now. But again, media people you know, saying they're disappointed in you, people telling they're disappointed in you. You've got a point to prove. You, yeah. You want to go out there and you want to. To be fair, it lit a fire upon me because I'm like, I'm going to prove not in a bad way, but I want to prove these people wrong. I want to prove that, you know, I'm going to go out there and win. I'm going to prove that I'm. The driver that you know should have won it, even though I probably didn't perform the best on the day. Again, I'm a purist. I believe that whoever performed the best there and then was the winner, and that's it, straight up. And I might have fell short on that day. That doesn't mean that I'm a worse driver than than any of the people there. Um. So yeah, it, it wasn't good because you start, you know, reflecting on your own faults. Again, I couldn't. I could have done another year of British Formula Three. Uh, for 2020 but you know my first year I'd finished third you know won three races three poles there's not much left for me to do I mean I would have done it it was a backup option but as a driver I wanted to carry on learning and progressing so the next step would have been European F3 Mm -hmm. Um, so we managed to get a good deal uh, before the pandemic Uh, lots of sponsors got on board which was good as our best I'd imagine it would have been because even though you didn't win that, you're still yeah. in the mix of the yeah, best yeah, yeah. of the best. So yeah. people would have been looking in. Exactly. And and that definitely helped, which was a positive. And you know, you think, you know, we've seen 
you know, seeing good signs. Are we going to move up, step it up and, you know, go racing again? We've secured, you know, hundreds of thousands worth of, of sponsorship and investment. Um, now, a season of, of European F3, roughly, if you want to do it properly, where the biggest team would cost you around 800 to 900 grand. Now, would the dad, would the dad remortgage a cut? Would it would touch that? That would have been a struggle to touch, to touch that kind of money, man. That's that, yeah. that's yeah. bloody hell. Yes, but again, you know, because you've got a name for yourself, we've got a good offer. So that's the first thing we, first thing we do. We, we fish for offers, good offers, teams that, again, like what we've been doing since this is my second year in F4, fishing teams that need a good driver that have had a bad, bad season the year before uh, and they need to prove a point as well as I am mm-hmm. or as well as I have to do that season. So we signed for double R rating. Um, new car for everyone that season uh, with the upgrades, the halo, uh, top, top spec. So no one knew much about this car. Uh, when it first came out, obviously. Um, and again, we had signed a deal because obviously we had the sponsorship then. And then the pandemic hit. And I'd only done two test days up until everything stopped. Mm-hmm. Again, we building momentum, started getting used to the car, and, and that was it, you know. Now, this, again, last year was a tough year, to be honest, because as you would imagine, businesses investors they want to keep their money because yeah, they don't yeah. know what's going to happen yeah um so we'd lost hundreds of thousands worth of investment sponsorship and we only had money to we had to take it race by race and to be honest we was we was very happy with uh the way that the team you know took care of us because we know the owner quite well have a good friendship with him and he just said, look, you've signed a contract saying that we're going to do this race and this race, you're going to pay X amount, but, you know, just do what you can. I'm going to give you a price for each race. If you can give me a price, this the money I've asked for each race, we go racing. If not, no problem, we can't go. Because mm-hmm. uh, I was their only driver. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done all right. Uh, we, t- we turn up to the first race with five test days in total on a brand new car. Now, that's nowhere near enough development, you know, n- not only for me, uh, stepping up to a new, you know, new car, it's a step up, the cars are bigger, a lot more aero, aerodynamics and downfalls and stuff. Uh, and brand new circuits, you know, it's not UK tracks no more, you, you're going into Europe, this is all Formula One tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, not, not enough money to do enough testing, uh, not enough money to have the, develop, the development on the car. So we turned up Budapest, my first race, finished seventh and sixth. And to be honest, I was finishing seventh, seventh and sixth every race up until I couldn't do no more. So I'd, I'd done exactly half the season and we had to pull the plug, you know, we've run out of money, we've run out of, you know, all the, the little sponsorship money that we did, you know, end up getting, it was gone. Um, so I'm like, man, again, like you hit that low point where after losing the, the Young Driver of the Year award, 
you want to get onto the good foot and you're finishing sixth and seventh, which you know isn't a bad thing. You're stepping up to the European Formula Three, but you know again, people are expecting you to do a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you're just thinking, I just want, I need to go out there. I need to, to you know, drive. Now, um, my Chris Dittman Racing, my old F3 team called. I got a phone call saying, oh, what happened over this? I said, look, just run out of money. He said, he said, look, my one of my drivers has dropped out because he um, he wasn't happy with, or it just wasn't quite right, so he decided to move teams. Yep. He said, oh, obviously, I have a lot of trust in you. I have a lot of, you know, I'm happy with you, so you can do the race for free at Brands Hatch. So I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I need. I just need to drive need to drive and, and carry on, you know, uh, getting myself back up confidence-wise. Um, so I turned up, uh, I haven't driven uh, this Formula 3 car in a year. Um, again, practice was up there, thereabouts, you know, fifth, fifth. Came to qualifying, it was raining again. And I'm like, hmm, could be good. I like that you said. Yeah. Um, and managed to get again double pole position by half a second, which is a big gap. Um, and I'd won, won two races uh, just from getting a phone call a few days before and just turning up and racing. And that for me was a real confidence booster, real confidence booster um, to be winning again. I know I've, I've stepped back down to British, but you know the level still huge. Yeah, uh, most of the people I'd stayed there from the year before. It was good, man. Um, and not only that, I started getting phone calls for development. So I started uh, a British Formula 3 teams wanted me to go in and do a, a race weekend for free to help them develop the car and everything. So I'd done the last race of the championship again with a different team. It was my old F4 team that had just stepped up to F3. Mm-hmm. Again, wasn't doing great, wasn't happy, struggling for, to get drivers. So I've gone in and you know, I've, I've done as much work as I could do and up my knowledge and my capabilities of, you know, changing the car to the right direction and and to get back up to speed myself, which I just set out for nearly half a year mm-hmm. um, and finished uh, second and third and qualified for both races, you know. Again, another confidence booster, but that's a good thing for your image, you know. People can rely on just literally finding you up no matter where it is. And they know that you're, you're going to turn up, you know. You know you're going to turn up, and you've got the, you've got the mindset to be able to still deliver. Yeah. Um, and what's the what's what's the plan once we do get where, where where's things sitting just now? Once hopefully life gets back to a bit of normal, bit of normality. Hopefully sooner rather than later. What's what's the plans? Um, the plan is to do a second year of European F3, um, ideally a full season which would be good just to get under my belt to see how I progress. Uh, we're in talks now with a, a Spanish team uh, in Madrid called Drivex. Uh, good setup. Again, not the biggest team, not the team that spends hundreds of thousands in development, but it's a team that we can afford. And one of my engineers from that British F3 team, Chris, works for them. So I know I will be in good hands. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I know that he would work well, everyone would, would work as hard as they can to get me up to speed. Uh, I've done a few test days with them. Uh, I'm very happy, to be honest, with the attitude, the way the car was. You know, everyone was willing to help. Everyone willing to give it 100%. So 
which is, for me is, is all I need from them. And um, yeah, I mean, we're getting there uh, sponsorship-wise. We've had a few uh, investment companies and investors. Um, you know, I was I was having meetings this morning. I've you know, it's meetings every other day, um, trying to get the right budget. We're probably just over halfway of what we need. Um, but I think we'll get there. I think even if we sign and do the half a season, and as long as the season goes, if I have good results, then that's going to bring more people around me. And hopefully that can help me complete the rest of the season. I know there's a lot of pressure on my hands and I have to perform because, you know, then people aren't going to try and invest in you sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, again, pressure, but I, I'm a lot more mature now. I can deal with pressure a lot better. Um, again, this, what you said is the mental game, man. It's, it's so important. Um, so, yeah, that's the aim. Uh, at the moment, there's no testing, no nothing going on. Um, so, yeah, just being uh, trying to get the right people on board because you can get people on board, but you want the right people, people that are going to have faith in you um, and people that know what they're investing in and know that they're going to get something out of it in the future because they will. Dream still to get to Formula One? Yeah, yeah, that's the dream. It's, it's always been... Um, you know, until the day comes where everything's run out and we physically can't do it no more, which, or to the point where I get, you know, too old to be still in Formula 3, then we'll look elsewhere, you know. I mean, and I'm, I'm in a very good position to, you know, drive sports cars and, and drive uh, prototypes because of my experience and what I've won in single-seaters uh, along my career. So, yeah, I'm in a good position on that side, you know, there's always going to be something for me, hundred percent. Um, keep your keep your um, your vision on the main prize, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep 100%. your vision on on Formula One, and yeah. don't lose sight of that. You know, you're yeah. how old are you now? Nineteen. Bloody hell, man! Yeah, yeah, I don't know what I don't know how that works in terms of age and when you have to have really. But I'd like to think you got time in your you got time in your hand. Yeah. Not time from the point of view that you can stroll through the next couple of years and see what happens and stuff. You know, you need to keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. keep, keep going for it. But you know, think I'll be, I'll be following you closely. Just remember this: when you do become a Formula One driver, just remember your mate Cassim, and yeah, I still, get, I still get, I still get an interview here and there <laughs> in between your very busy schedule. And you know, I want to mention as well. Just now, we obviously got put in touch through your, your, your other half, Jody, who just yeah. happened to be a bit of engagement on, uh, on social media. Um, I did a podcast with her mom, and then it, I got in touch with message Jody, and then Jody said to me that you know my other half's a, a, a you know he's a he's a he's a, he's a racing driver. Do you want to, do you think you would want to speak to him? And I was like, absolutely, man. And then when, <laughs> I, did, when I did some when I did some digging, I was like, this kid's not just a racing driver, man. He's like uh, he's he, he's the real deal. So <laughs> I, I, I never had any idea of the kind of story you were going to tell me or what I was going to learn from yeah. you. That's the beauty of you know podcasting. Your story is powerful, man. Like, you know, uh, if you look at you, probably honestly just think kid probably comes from a good background, but you know, wealthy background, you know, he's he's had it all, he's raised and this, but really it's been a very, very humble, humble beginning. But even without, you know, take away the money and the finance, big, big thanks, I'm sure, goes to your parents. Because yeah. your dad has supported you from, yeah. from day one. I'm sure your mum has supported you a great deal. Um, and it sounds like you've got a really good grounding there. So, you know, always keep your 
keep your feet in the ground, which I think you will. You've already yeah. been through some life experiences that most people won't go through in their whole life. Yeah, um, I mean, again, I, I, would, I wouldn't be in this position without my mum or my dad. And not only the hard work they put into me, but, you know, the faith is so important when you truly believe uh, in, in your kids that is good enough to make it all the way. It's very important. And I couldn't thank him enough. And, you know, it's, it's tricky, man. It's, it's a hard business, but everything that we've had, we've had to work our socks off to get it. And that's yeah. why we're proud to be where we are. Nothing's been handed on the plate, nothing. Everything has had to be grafted. You know, lots of, you know, sleepless nights, um, you know, sad nights, happy nights. But we're here. Sleeping, sleeping, sleeping in mornings, panic. Yeah. You yeah. name it. It's had a, a fever on the biggest day of your probably yeah. life. It's had a, a getting in a car that you've never driven. I mean, these the, the, these are always stand you in good stead. Um, yeah. I think I think you've got a very very bright future, mate. Um, yeah, I'll cer you. certainly be following with a with a keen interest. Um, appreciate you coming on. It's been an yeah, absolute pleasure. You. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I'll catch you in in two seconds when we when we stop rec stop recording. No, thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, mate. You're welcome. Cheers.